Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. The final of the second Theology Slam competition takes place on the 26th of March at St John's Hoxton in central London. To book a ticket, go to churchtimes.co.uk slash theology hyphen slam. One of the main stories this week in the national and church press has been the reaction to a statement from the House of Bishops responding to new regulations that enable opposite-sex couples to enter into civil partnerships. I'm joined by Madeline Davies, who's been following the story closely. Um, The stories, Madeline, has has unfolded um, in, in quite a surprising way, but could you just take us back to kind of how it all started about, um, I guess, about a week ago. Yes, so um, last week the statement on civil partnerships was issued, um, described as a pastoral statement coming from the House of Bishops. Um, And as you said, that was introduced as being a response to um, the fact that um, opposite-sex couples can now enter into a civil partnership. So um, it was addressing questions about whether those partnerships could be blessed in church, whether there would be a liturgy made available, and if clergy were to enter such a partnership, would that be a bar to ordination and what questions might be asked? We've already had the bishops um, making statements on same-sex civil partnerships. How, how is it different, do you think, for opposite-sex civil partnerships than the sort of what bishops have to say? So what the um, the statement from the bishop says is that the arguments for opposite-sex civil partnerships, which were advanced in the Supreme Court, um, included the desire for a publicly authorised institution which explicitly rejected the perceived religious connotations of marriage. Um, so they're saying that given that that's kind of the context in which um, opposite-sex civil partnerships were introduced, um, clergy who entered into such a partnership would be expected to sort of explain why why had they opted for that rather than marriage and explain the theological and social meanings of their decision so that's sort of another layer of questions which which clergy can be expected to be asked and what the press seemed to pick up when they reported on this statement was um a line that i think to, to anyone who's sort of been in the church for a while didn't seem like news which was that the church's official position is that sexual relationships should play, take place in a marriage between a man and a woman, a lifelong marriage. Um, but that seems to have been the, the line that the press ran with and that caused a lot of criticism. Yeah, I suppose it sort of demonstrates the, the chasm between um, that teaching and um, sort of the understanding of sex and relationships in society more broadly. So um, even though I guess within the church that wouldn't have sounded um, sort of new or shocking, I think for many people outside the church, it, it sounds sort of very um, sort of countercultural, I guess, and people are surprised to hear it. And there's also the phrase about um, other relationships sort of falling short, which I think understandably sort of in cold isolation for anything else does sound to people sort of that their relationship is is being judged. And um, that was sort of very much picked up um, on this, in the secular press as well. And a lot of people seem to be saying this is a real missional problem because it's the church being um, disconnected from the wider culture. But then others, perhaps more conservative, saying, well, that's what is always the case. The church is countercultural. You're going to be out of step. Yeah, so that, that's definitely an argument that's been advanced is to say that, um, you know, church teaching isn't dictated by um, sort of um, broader society and that we should expect to be countercultural. Um, I think people have pointed out that the, the statement was um, sort of addressed to clergy and it was sort of addressing a series of anticipated questions about what clergy and candidates for ordination could expect. Um, but 
it sort of was issued and went mainstream in such a way that it was deemed to be sort of addressing society more broadly and that's sort of how it was presented and that perhaps explains some of the reaction although I guess sort of one of the, one of the big questions that has been put to bishops who've spoken out against the statement is whether they actually disagree with the teaching that's been outlined or simply with the tone and the timing of the release so that's definitely a question which um, people campaigning for a change in the church's teaching are asking. Yeah, let's go, let's go on to that. I mean, um, you had the statement, I think, was released on Thursday. There was quite a lot of um, criticism from some quarters, um, particularly on social media. Then you had over the weekend, I think, the first of the members of the House of Bishops. Um, I think I was looking through Twitter on Sunday and saw that a statement had been released by the Bishop of Gloucester, uh, Rachel Truig. Yes, so she was the first um, of a number of bishops who um, have issued statements um, expressing concern um, really about the timing of the statement um, and, I guess, the tone of it. Um, So I think sort of rather than the the content, um, bishops have expressed sort of surprise about the way in which it was published. I think they sort of they feel that it was sort of without any context and perhaps they weren't expecting it to just be issued in in a press release in that way and and sort of admitting to their own errors as well I think so it's quite important that she said that she had made wrong assumptions at the meeting of the House of Bishops where it was sort of signed off and that she should have asked more questions about that process so I guess um, what people are asking is um, well, I guess sort of questions about governance in the House of Bishops so if bishops are now coming out and saying they're unhappy about the release um, why weren't questions asked at the time um, why was it deemed a business um, why wasn't it anticipated that one it was in the public domain this sort of reaction could have been expected let's just go back to that it was in december i think before christmas that this statement was drafted and signed off by the house of bishops so um it was it was deemed business which means that a delegation committee so a smaller number of bishops which includes um suffragans um would have considered it um so it would it would still have been seen and sort of signed off by the house of bishops but it wasn't debated by them it was um it was discussed and I think a minor amendment was made in November by this um, delegation, delegated committee. Um, so I, th- I think Bishop um, Treweek in Gloucester has said that she can't deny that she saw it, but perhaps didn't ask enough questions about what would then um, happen to it. And do we know about the timing? Was it that the um, I mean, communications team at Church House sort of decided to put it out without the bishops? more widely knowing yeah I don't I, I'm, I don't think it's clear at this point um the, the college of bishops is currently meeting um their meeting is ending today so it may be that something is said afterwards um because clearly this will be on the agenda there um bishops have actually said um some of the suffragans have said that they will be raising it in the college of bishops meeting um so it's possible that we'll learn a bit more after the end of that meeting just say we're recording this on Thursday, so um, if there have been any developments when you're listening to this, do check out churchtimes.co.uk for them. Um, can we just talk about where it went from there? Because um, I think quite a, quite a few bishops use their Twitter accounts to express um, agreement with Bishop Truig. Yes, um, so there were some people um, just briefly saying that they agreed with her statement. Um, the Bishop of Norwich, um, Graham Usher, um, was saying that he had been frustrated that it wasn't discussed and debated by the House. Um, and we've also had um, the Bishop of Liverpool, um, who um, is also um, chair of the Azan Foundation, um, who shared an open letter um, which described the statement as cold, 
defensive, uncaring of its impact on the millions of people it affects. Um, and that also warned that the church should be made a laughing stock um, to a nation that believes it's obsessed with sex. Um, so in, in the tweet, he basically said that um, you know, there's nothing wrong with pushing back against um, what is issued. That's sort of a, um, I think he's sort of implying that's a healthy part of debate within the Church of England. And he shared an open link to people who wanted to sign that letter, which I think has got um, well over 3,000 3, signatories now. And then one of the arguments of the critics is that this we've got this living in love and faith process where the church and everyone's been told to wait for any kind of new guidance or teaching or resources or whatever you want to call it. Um, has that been an argument you've been hearing? Is that Was that one of the reasons some of these bishops and others were irritated by this? Yes, yeah, so some people said that, that the statement had been made without um, setting that context out. Actually, the statement does refer to living in love and faith. And it says that clergy are perfectly um, sort of permitted to argue for a change in the church's teaching within that process and elsewhere. So I think it was mentioned in the statement. There probably are different understandings of the... I guess the remit of living in love and faith and what can be expected to be produced at the end of it and also whether it effectively served as a sort of moratorium on people talking about the the church's teaching or arguing for a change. Um, There's a letter that's been sent by um, the two chairs um, of the House of Clergy and General Synod to the archbishops, um, which is asking for the statement to be withdrawn and an apology made at General Synod next month. Um, And they're basically saying that since the announcement of living in love and faith in 2017, people have been um, showing a degree of restraint um, and that they've sort of encouraged that restraint and they've been patient. Um, So why were the House of Bishops not able to exercise the same restraint? I think the argument sort of coming back the other way was um, sort of we were forced to comment because of the government introducing um, this new sort of civil partnership um, set of regulations that required some kind of um, legal advice for clergy. So I, I guess there are sort of um, different understandings of of how people were supposed to respond to this ongoing process of living in love and faith. We talked about the bishops who've, who've criticised their own statement. Um, did any come out to defend it? Um, so there's a, uh, a couple of members of the delegation committee who I mentioned as, as having looked at the statement in November... So there's the Bishop of Wilsdon, um, Pete Broadbent, is a member of that committee. Um, and he basically said there shouldn't have been any surprises. Um, it was a restatement of the church's teaching. Um, if you look at the 2005 statement on um, same-sex civil partnerships, a lot of the um, wording seems to have literally been cut and pasted into, into the new one. So a lot of it is reiterating what was already there. Um, the Bishop of Lichfield is, is also a member of that, um, and he also makes the point that it's a restatement of church teaching. Um, but he does go on to say that um, Diocese of Lichfield is committed to um, the radical inclusion which the Archbishops talked about in 2017 at the same time as launching Living in Love and Faith. In 2018, um, Lichfield sent out some pastoral guidance to its own clergy, which, which set out sort of what that inclusion should look like, um, which sort of included things like um, kind of sexual orientation not being any bar to leadership, um, and that it was wrong to sort of intrusively question people about their their sexuality. Um, so they were sort of reiterating that commitment to radical inclusion. And where, where do you think this will go next, this story? 
So we've got the College of Bishops currently meeting, so I guess people will be wondering whether any statement will be made at the end of that. Normally at the end of a college or House of Bishops meeting, you get a very, very brief um, summary that is sent to the press, which just lists very, very briefly a few items that have been discussed. There's not very much information there, um, but perhaps more will be said this time. And then obviously Synod is meeting in February, um, so I imagine there'll be questions um, questions will be asked. Um, there's already been this letter suggesting that an apology be made to members by the archbishops. Um, there's also a presentation on living in love and faith, which has an opportunity for questions there. So I imagine that will also come up. So I, I guess that will sort of um, prompt a lot of discussion um, and questions put to the living in love and faith chair um, and other people involved in the process about sort of where do we go from here. Hello again. This is Ed Thornton speaking on Friday. On Thursday evening, shortly after we finished recording the podcast, the Archbishops of Canterbury and York issued a statement at the end of a two-day meeting of the College of Bishops. It said that they, quote, alongside the bishops of the Church of England, apologise and take responsibility for releasing a statement last week which we acknowledge has jeopardised trust. We are very sorry and recognise the division and hurt this has caused. The bishops in Edmondsbury and Ipswich, Martin Seeley, said in a statement on Thursday evening that the meeting of the college had begun and ended with, quote, expressions of great sorrow and distress about the statement's publication. He was very sorry not only for its publication, but that it had been, quote, produced in the first place. He continued, I and a number of my colleagues asked that the document be withdrawn, but this was decided against by the majority. Read more on this at churchtimes.co.uk. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.